Paul says, for to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And Father, we as always just pause and want to ask collectively, as well as Lord individually, uh, for the grace and the help of your Holy Spirit to truly hear what it is that your Spirit is saying to this part of your church this morning from this particular portion of the Word of God. So Lord, whatever that means for each of us, prepare us. Lord, as we read this morning, help us to give our attention right now to you, that, Lord, you would speak by your spirit through what you've spoken in the word of God, and we ask this together expectantly in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the word influence is defined as follows. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone or something. And the Bible, to me, is very clear that a healthy follower of Jesus Christ should always have a degree of spiritual influence on those amongst them. That is, first of all, being, of course, salt and light to the unsaved world around us, that is living in darkness and that is decaying. We're called to have an influence of salt and light among the unsaved. But also, secondly, we're also to have the influence of being helpful to fellow Christians around us through serving among the church body, through loving acts of servanthood to support and strengthen one another in good, healthy spiritual influence through the body ministry that should happen among the church family. You remember the backdrop in the beginning of chapter four we saw last time. In the last section, Paul was exhorting Timothy there. We talked about towards being spiritually healthy. And if you remember as he left off, he specifically used that athletic or exercise analogy. He even told Timothy specifically in verses seven and eight there to actually exercise himself towards godliness. And then remember he said, the reason is, he says bodily exercise, it has some profit, but using that picture and analogy, he said, look, the more important to realize is that godliness or spiritual health, he says, that has much greater profit. In fact, he says there it has profitability for all things, having promised not only for the things in this life, but it also has great benefits because of the rewards that it brings us in the eternal dimension as well. And so in light of that, what's important to realize as we go into our text this morning is that a healthy Christian can and will always be, I believe, a helpful Christian. Let me say that again. A healthy Christian, there's verses 1 down through verse 9, a healthy Christian can and will always become a helpful Christian. That is one who has influence and impact upon others. And so as we go into this next section, Paul kind of turns his instruction now towards this idea of being influential spiritually, being effective spiritually. He addresses how to go about ensuring that Timothy will have maximum spiritual influence. And certainly he's instructing Timothy regarding his pastoral ministry as a servant of the Lord, but yet all of us can glean from the principles that we find here. And truth be told, the New Testament teaches that every Christian is a sufficient minister, the Bible says, of the new covenant. And so we should all to some degree be ministering in the world and even among the church. Now, Paul, knowing from years of spiritual maturity how important and beneficial experiencing godliness is, as he now moves forward in this section, 
He shares how he was therefore willing to even be diligent and suffer to see that come to fruition, to see godliness developed in his own life and to see godliness experienced in the lives of those he's influencing. That's why he says there, verse 10, look what he says. He says, for to this end, that is helping people get to godliness, helping people meet God, helping people grow spiritually, to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men. And he says, especially those who believe. So to be both godly personally, himself as a man, as well as out of that spiritual health to influence others to come to know God and to become godly as strong believers to accomplish that, Paul says that's why, verse 10, he says, we're willing to, first of all, to labor. And the word Paul uses there for labor speaks of to you know, strenuously give yourself to something to the point of exhaustion. So he's talking about there clearly working hard to the point of weariness to keep going in doing things that will influence people spiritually, as well as Paul says, not only are we willing to labor, but we're also willing to some degree to suffer reproach. And that speaks of enduring mistreatment whether verbally, whether through physical persecution. The idea is to be mocked and mistreated and do whatever it takes to keep going forward, to keep trying to have spiritual influence. And where was his strength in doing that? He says here, verse 10, look at he says, because, here's why we do such, because we're trusting in the living God. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, our hopeful reliance upon God and what God will do knowing that he is alive and that he's powerful, that he keeps his promises. Paul trusted that God being actively at work would always honor their effort to do what's right, whether it's trying to be healthy personally or trying to help other people through influence become healthy spiritually. He believed it was worthwhile to give his best, to labor to even suffer and struggle through things of difficulty from time to time, mistreatment, whatever it was, towards seeing the kingdom of God continue to be expanded and influenced in any way that he could. And notice it was Paul's trust, you might say, and his reliance in this reality that God himself is a faithful, loving God, and Paul believed he would work on his behalf. That's what inspired Paul his trust in the living God, that's what inspired Paul, we might say, to keep his head down and to keep laboring in what was right and doing what was good without growing faint and without giving up or getting distracted, to even endure through struggles of being mistreated or hard times or difficult seasons. It was that confidence and trust in the living God if you might say, his trust in God was the very thing that helped Paul continue to carry onward in the midst of hardship. And look, let me say by way of application this morning, perhaps in some way in your personal life right now, you're kind of losing stamina in the midst of your struggle. Whatever your struggle may be, maybe something that you're dealing with, maybe it's a hardship, maybe it's hard to keep pressing forward, maybe there's pain and suffering, mistreatment, whatever, and maybe you're losing stamina and it's hard to just carry onward. Let me just say the best thing to help that is to do what Paul describes here, to focus on God. Don't focus on the hardship. Don't overthink through things too much. Just focus on the greatness of the power of God and trust what the living God of all power and great promises can do to work on your behalf, to accomplish what's necessary, to help you carry onward. You know, Psalm 27 refers to this idea. Psalm 27, David says there, and David went through his fair share of hardship, did he not? And David says there, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David didn't say I would have lost heart unless I kept believing that eventually when I get to heaven, ah, everything will be okay. David said, I would have lost heart unless I believed, kept believing, kept trusting, and focused on faith that God in his goodness was going to work 
in the land of the living. That is that God would be good and get us to the other side of this, or God would be good and help me to go through this storm and get to the other side and somehow work something. And so David said, unless I had believed, that would have sank my battleship. I wouldn't have made it through the storm, he says. But it was my trust in God. He says, that's what carried me onward. And let me just say this morning, sometimes the greatest influence that we can have like Paul, like David, sometimes the greatest influence we can have is when we inspire others to keep going by the simple fact that in the midst of our hardship and our storm and our difficulties, we show that we're willing through the storm to keep trusting God. And that through the hardship, that we're willing to keep confidence in God, to believe he'll do what's right. And by showing that to people, that is a tremendous influence sometimes. That we don't abandon ship in the midst of the storm. That we don't turn around the ship and sail away and run off and go. To, but instead that we, no, I am going to trust God through the storm. And, and in the midst of the storm with the disciples, where was Jesus? In the boat with them. Remember Jesus said as they were traveling in the boat and then the storm arose and everything was going crazy and it was Jesus the one who said what? Let us go to the other side. They follow Jesus. He leads them right into a horrible storm. They're straining, they're struggling, they're drowning. Thanks, Lord. You told us to do this. And what did Jesus do? Jesus addressed the situation. He calmed the storm. He told them to and he got them to the other side. Do you know what their one responsibility was in the midst of a storm? Don't abandon ship. Jesus said, I'll get you to the other. Just don't jump out of the ship. You just stay on board with Jesus. Don't reroute your course. Don't sail away somewhere else. Don't jump out of the boat. Stay on board. As long as Jesus is on board, he'll get you through the storm and over to the other side. And it becomes a faith test sometimes. But those become some of the greatest opportunities for us to have wonderful influence. And Paul understood this. He says, notice, of God, look what he says of God. We trust in this living God, verse 10, who is the Savior of all men. And then he says, especially, particularly, the language is, those who believe. So Paul speaks, no doubt here, of God's greatest accomplishment that he orchestrated for humanity. And God's greatest accomplishment that he orchestrated for humanity is that he managed to become the savior of all of sinful mankind who had turned against him in rebellion. He says this living God, verse 10, who we're trusting in, he says he is the savior of all men. That is, God solved the greatest dilemma in human history. How do you save lost souls? How do you reconcile sinful humanity? How do you take people depraved and spiritually dead, and how do you provide, keep in mind here, provide both a just basis, because God cannot compromise his holiness. How do you provide a just basis for salvation, but also lovingly do what's necessary and take it upon yourself to reconcile the world back to yourself, to be, as Romans 3 talks about, both just and then at the same time become the justifier of those who will believe in you to make them righteous. And God is the one who did this. In fact, if you're interested in deeper detail on that, Romans 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 discuss extensively this idea how God being just also found a way to be merciful and loving and save mankind and simultaneously orchestrated this, that he could become the savior of all so that all could be saved. That's why Jesus said in John chapter three, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world to make a pathway and provision to offer God's salvation to all Yet, sadly, because God is also just in his ways and gives people free will, he does not force them to embrace his offer and gift. He gives them the freedom to choose where they want to spend eternity. And sadly, though all could be saved because God can be and has become the Savior available to all mankind, though all could be saved, sadly, we know not all will be saved. 
And I believe that's why Paul says here, God is the savior of all. He can bring and offer salvation to all, to anyone. And then he says, but especially, particularly to those who believe, that is believe and receive. Because to those of us who believe and receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ, he literally becomes our savior. He becomes our salvation. And so Paul here seems to be emphasizing this idea. And because it is such a wonderful offer, Paul says, this is the reason why we will struggle and labor and suffer onward so that as many as possible can come to know God and experience godliness. And then it's almost as if he wants to prompt Timothy here in the midst of his own hardships, because we know Timothy, we've talked about, is going through his own struggles there in Ephesus. So he now turns to Timothy, verse 11, and says, these things, Timothy, command and teach. In other words, Timothy, God has given you opportunity there in Ephesus to have spiritual influence, just like he's given me opportunities to have spiritual influence. And so he says, Timothy, use it well. Don't miss the opportunity. Do what you can to teach these same truths in your sphere of influence. Among those, God has allowed you to have a degree of impact upon and command the ideas call to response to action those who you are speaking to in regards to these truths. Then he goes on, verse 12, to give Timothy some sound advice further, how to have good influence. Look what he says. Let no one despise your youth, verse 12 but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, and in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So Paul encourages Timothy here, notice, not to be intimidated in fulfilling his calling or to fall prey, we might say, to youthful pitfalls, but instead, he says, Make the most of your role and your position. Some of your translations render verse 12 in this way. Don't let anyone look down on you or think less of you because you are young. What Paul does here in verse 12 is he clearly identifies a perceived, and I use that word purposely, a perceived youthfulness among Timothy's life. And knowing that reality existed, keep in mind, from what we gather from the Bible and history, Timothy, it seems, started traveling and serving together with Paul the Apostle in ministry, probably somewhere in the range of his teenage years, somewhere around 15, 16 years old, it's believed. At this point, it's been at least about 15 or plus more years, which at this point in time puts Timothy somewhere around, let's say, 30-ish, 30, 35 maybe, somewhere in that general frame, and understand in the Greek and Roman culture, unlike our modern generations, in the Greek and modern culture, they, they highly esteem the older generation. They highly esteem the older generation as being wise and well-experienced. In fact, many posts of leadership in the Greek and Roman culture were not even permitted to be occupied until a man was 40 years old because that was their mindset. That at least until you got to that point, certain posts, they wouldn't even allow you to fulfill until that time, civilly or you know, other forms of leadership. So we can understand then at the age of 30-ish, particularly culturally for Timothy, at the age therefore of 30-ish, Timothy lacked what many viewed as necessary maturity and wisdom just because of his age chronologically. So therefore, people would be prone to do what? Guess. Dismiss him to kind of just write him off or to look down upon him, it's very likely that many in the congregation where Timothy was pastoring at, as well as, remember, he was providing oversight of other congregations to a degree, it seemed, it was very, very likely that many in the congregation were older than he was at that time chronologically in that season of his life. You know, I mean, I can completely relate to that. When we first went to Calvary Chapel of, of York with that church plant there when I started doing the Bible study. I, I planted Calvary Chapel of York when I was 25 years old. The majority of the congregation was older than me. And, and so, again, I, I can fully relate to that reality where there's that sense of, okay, other than, let me see, uh, my children, everyone else is older around me majority of times. And so this is kind of the dynamic where Timmy's, Timothy's dealing with something like this. It just, it is what it is. It's not that God's calling's not on his life. 
Paul the apostle is the one who kind of ordained and asked him to be there. So he's not usurping a role or in his youthful arrogance kind of taking. This is all of the Lord, but there's this very real dynamic where people might be quick to despise him just because of his perceived youthfulness and to look down upon him with kind of a negative outlook or kind of a pessimistic attitude or kind of to disregard him in a critical sense just because of what they saw of his youthfulness. And look, let's just be very candid this morning. It's a natural temptation, not just in church and ministry, in the world generally. It's a natural temptation to see someone younger in life and to kind of gravitate, people can at times, to kind of critically assume they lack proper wisdom or experience at the job site or whatever it may be. How could they lead or how could they teach or how could they handle certain responsibilities? How can they contribute? I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, they're, they're, they're young. I mean, what are they really going to And that's just a very common tendency to think those younger are just unable or not worthy to offer something or share something and to kind of wrongly dismiss those of a younger generation or younger than us as kind of incapable to really contribute something of value or to help and to prematurely kind of just overlook and dismiss someone because of perceived youthfulness. Again, remember, we see this in the Bible numerous times. First, uh, Samuel chapter 17. That was the issue that happened with a story of Goliath. You remember who slayed Goliath, don't you? It was David. But you remember what happened. Goliath was intimidating for over a month all the, all the troops. Not King Saul, Mr. Head and Shoulders, taller than everybody else. None of the other trained military. Nobody would go out and fight Goliath. David shows up bringing some cheese for his brothers. Hey, bring some cheese out to your brothers and a few loaves of bread. He shows up. David sees what's going on. He says, hey, why ain't anybody taking this guy on? He's defying the living God. Do you know how big are that guy's a shrimp compared to our God? And David, with faith and courage, he's ready to go out there and step in and take on this giant. And remember what David and his older brothers at the, the military uh, battlefield, they basically, in essence, said to David, my interpretation, go home, little boy. You're not old enough to be in the military yet. Go back home, play with your Tonka trucks. Go run around with your teenage friends. What, what are you doing? We're men out here on the battlefield. But the reality was none of the older generation was doing anything. They had no faith where they were all too tired to try anything anymore. And it was David that God used, though he was being despised, ultimately to bring about this great, great victory. But there was kind of, again, that tendency to kind of dismiss, to despise and push aside David and let me say, sadly, that critical despisal towards youth, that can cause the younger generation at times, I think, to become unduly discouraged and to shrink back from time to time. Because the bottom line is, you know, the, the, those who are younger always are going to tend to have an internal sense of kind of insecurity to a degree. And sometimes what happens, you know, by nature, a person who's younger, they feel their inadequacy. They sense their inexperience, they're unsure, they're maybe uncomfortable. And sometimes, like David, those younger, they actually want to try things. They would be willing to step into something. They want to step out, but they're not sure how they will do if they try it. Or sometimes what happens is they're not sure how people will respond to them because they're younger. And so, therefore, they begin to wrestle and it causes restraint, and they shrink back in fear. And as a result, the youthful individual or the youthful generation, if you would, becomes intimidated, and then they just shrink back. And they let their own youthfulness be the thing to stop them from stepping into maybe what God wants them to do. Remember Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1? That great prophet had this issue himself. Jeremiah 1, as God called Jeremiah to be his prophet and speak his word, this was his statements to God. O sovereign Lord... I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you, and whatever I tell you, you shall speak. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and protect you. I've spoken. 
Jeremiah was saying, Lord, I can't accept that mission. I'm, I'm too young. I'm just too young. I don't know what I'm doing yet. And everyone else is going to just look at me. They're not going to respond to me. I'm too young. What is this guy going to say? He's just too young. We're not listening to a young guy. And God said to Jeremiah, stop saying that. I'm doing this. I'll protect you. I'll be with you. And I don't care what anyone else says. You just faithfully do what I'm asking you to do. And we have to beware, again, of this struggle. Like Paul says to Timothy here, don't let anyone despise your youth. Again, here's what I see Paul doing as a wiser, older man, understanding this reality and kind of dynamic. Notice he's saying there, verse 12, Timothy, he says, let no one, the idea is don't allow people to despise your youth. He's basically saying, Timothy, don't let it happen. It's going to be a temptation. People are going to be prone towards it. But he's saying, Timothy, what I'm asking you in wisdom is, though people may be tempted to dismiss you, don't allow it to happen. Do whatever you can, son, to counteract that struggle. Do everything you can in your power, being younger as the Lord's worker, to not allow people to despise you, dismiss you, and, and brush you off. So do your part in the process. Look, just because someone's younger, it is never right to assume they're not usable. In fact, many times I said in God's word, we see God inclined, is he not, to use the weak and to use the younger? Again, think of Joseph. We think of David. We think of Daniel. We think of Jeremiah. We think of Esther, Titus, Timothy. God's not limited by age. No one's too young. And technically, no one's too old. Moses started at 80 years old, his profound ministry. God's not limited by age. God's limited by lack of obedience, lack of faith, things of that nature. So again, we want to remember this. We should, honestly, folks, as a congregation, I pray here at Calvary Chapel, we would be people who were glad and thankful and super excited when younger people want to serve the Lord. When those of a younger generation or a younger age chronologically want to step out and be used by God, we should encourage that. We should give opportunity for that, and we should extend grace in connection to that as they're figuring things out and navigating their way forward, attempting things and growing like we all have. And look, let me say this morning, if you're a younger person, and you can quantify what that is for yourself, don't shrink back just because you're younger in comparison, perhaps, to those who may be among you. What I would recommend, as Paul tells Timothy here, don't allow it to happen. So here's my suggestion. Just be humble in spirit. Have a teachable attitude. Don't act like you know everything already. Be willing to appreciate and respect those older around you, even if you're ministering to them or with them, and be open in faith of God's ability to use you and do everything you can in operating in that way to not allow people to dismiss you just because you're young. In other words, it may be something that's prone in people's hearts, but you do everything as a young, okay, I'm young. So therefore, because I'm young, what I need to do is do my part to not let people dismiss me because I'm youthful. I need to do what I can to try and stop that process, to counteract it, and there's where good wisdom comes to pass if a younger person begins to serve the Lord. And Paul wisely advises Timothy, I think here in the remainder of verse 12, how to work toward doing that to counteract those prone to dismiss. He tells him, Timothy, don't let this happen. Don't let them despise you. And he says, I'm going to tell you one way how. Be an example to the believers, he says, in word, conduct, love, spirit. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're young. Here's my suggestion. Let your life speak for itself. Let the good quality of your life answer your critics. Let your life be lived in such a way where you earn people's respect so that those who are older would say, you know what? That's actually a pretty solid young man there. That's actually a pretty solid young lady there. Young, yes, but uh, I can't dismiss that. that that's, and so he says, do what you can. By the way that you live, he says, be an example. And that word example speaks of a pattern to be followed, or as you would replicate a pattern. So he says, be someone who leads by example so that you can inspire others to follow what you're doing. Someone who can instruct others just by the way that you live your life, that your life, though young, can be an example that others would say, hey, wow, I can learn. That's a pretty good example right there 
of how to operate in this way or how to operate in that way. And the power of a good example is one of the strongest forms of influence. It is one of the strongest forms of influence, and it's one of the strongest forms, I believe, of leadership. That's why Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, the idea is I'm following Christ, and he's just, just follow me. Paul's saying, please listen to me, just follow me. And again, there's that idea of the power of influence. And as a younger person, one of the greatest ways, I tell you, you can silence your critics is live well. Just live well. Live well in a way that your life speaks the loudest. And for all of us, one of the greatest forms of ministry and influence we can all have is to try and be an example. Oh, I'm not a good teacher. I can't speak. You know what? Live well. Be a great example, and that's a powerful form of influence. He says, Timothy, be an example to the believers, and then he references some ways to do that. Be an example in, in word. The idea is in speech. Timothy, in how you speak, in what things you speak about. He's almost perhaps cautioning here, Timothy, as a younger man, use wise judgment. Don't fall prey to the foolish, listen, foolish youthful errors of your mouth. Right? And sometimes we give away our own immaturity by just the way that we talk. And, and, and it, it, whether it's you know, what we're saying or how we're talking or the way, and he says, be careful there. Timothy, be an example. You got to reel it in. Don't let that youthful foolishness in how you talk in your communication get you into trouble because people that are going to despise you, be mature. Use management in your words, Timothy. You're young. You want to do what you can to, to be effective. People, let people learn from you. Be a good example in how you speak and what you talk about. In conduct, he says, be an example. Or in behavior, that is the way that you live, how you handle yourself as a young man, the way that you live your life, how you conduct yourself. Again, Timothy, 30, 35 years old. Again, lovingly sacrifice, serve him if Timothy's married. You know, be a good, solid husband, Timothy. If he had children at this time, I don't know, the Bible's silent, but Timothy, be a good father. Live your life in a way where your lifestyle, its conduct and its behavior, the personal godliness of your life would cause people to say, you know what, man, that, that guy's got a pretty solid life already. He's a pretty solid Christian. He's a good husband or a great young father or whatever it may be. He says, be an example as well. There he says, thirdly, in love. That is in his love for the Lord and how he loved people. Be an example of someone where you inspire others that out of love, you're sacrificial, you really care about people, and you demonstrate in love that you're willing to help out and serve and do what you can to try and show love towards people and, and, and that you love things like the word of God and that you love the people of the Lord and you love serving the Lord. And people go, man, that, that guy's got his priorities right. He loves the right things. And that you can be an example, he says as well. Fourthly, in spirit. And that idea there in spirit speaks of one's inward, if you might say, disposition. So the idea is in spirit, be an example in spirit, Timothy, in that you're enthusiastic about the things of the Lord. That your spirit is genuinely passionate about the things of the Lord. The idea is that you haven't grown stagnant and complacent. And boy, how sometimes that's where the younger generation, if they do things right, can really be a help to those progressively heading towards the older generation, right? As we grow apathetic and you just kind of get complacent and well, I, I put in my years, I, I used to serve at church, I paid for all the windows. And whenever you're talking about your Christian life in the past tense, something's wrong. And there's something very wonderful about the fiery younger generation. They may not have some of the wisdom and things that the older generation can impart, but they also can bring a spirit of faith and enthusiasm and a passion for the things of the Lord, like David on the battlefield with Goliath. Timothy says, be an example. Be excited about the things of the Lord. Be excited about the things of the Lord. You know, one of my son-in-laws has inspired me tremendously over the last number of months, and one of the reasons is he has this weird game going where he always tries to guess the title of my Sunday morning sermon before Sunday. <laughs> Hasn't done it yet. But if it keeps him here forever, that's be great. Never move away. <laughs> but I like it. I'm like, well, you act, that's actually pretty interesting. You care that much about what's coming the next day? Is this what the title is tomorrow? Is this what the title is tomorrow? <laughs> Wonderful. That's that, that spirit of 
excited about the things of the Lord. He says, be an example in faith. Again, wasn't David a great picture of that? Willingness to step out and try things for the Lord. Be an example in faith to trust the Lord, you know, to, to believe. You know, aren't all of our little children like that? You know, we're raising little kids at times, and maybe you're having a family catastrophe, and then one of your kids becomes the prophet of the Lord in your house, and, and, and your kid goes, Daddy, why don't we just pray? God will fix it. Oh, yeah, forgot about that. Yeah. But again, childlike faith, right? And, and to, to be an example that you trust the Lord and, boy, how we need that. A spirit of doubt and discouragement caused so many problems to the people of God all throughout Scripture, right? Didn't go into the promised land. Why? An evil heart of unbelief. Missed a wonderful... And so many times it was doubt that got in the way. So those who can bring a spirit of faith and as an example, hey, let's venture out in faith. Let's trust the Lord. Let's try this. Let's, and God, God's going to move in this situation, or I believe the Lord will take care of that. And again, that spirit of faith is a wonderful example that any of us among the body of Christ at times can bring. And then he says also, be an example. Finally, he says there, verse 12, in purity, that is demonstrating what it means to live a pure life, to be an overcomer, not, oh, well, I'm young. I just can't get my passions under control. Nonsense. Be an example that, hey, I have the same Holy Spirit as a 50-year-old does and a 70-year-old does, and I want to live a pure and holy, consecrated life to God. And, and I want to show that sin can be overcome by living a wholesome, righteous life as a godly young man or a godly young woman. Look, if you're a younger person, let me say this morning before I depart from this verse, and you struggle with a sense of purpose, oh, I have no purpose. I don't know what my purpose is in life. Verse 12 is your purpose. Now you have a life purpose. There's your life purpose. If you embrace that as a life purpose, I'm telling you, you'll live a very purposed life. You'll live a very purposeful life that will be wonderful. You know, interesting to me that oftentimes we expect, and rightly so, and we assume that the older should always be the examples. And I think that's fair and that's accurate. But the Bible says, how about if the younger be an example in all these areas. And here's why I think God would say that, because I tell you this, when an older person is an example, older brother, older sister, older believer, that's powerful. But you want to talk about cranking the power up when you have a younger person to some degree and they're an example, the power and influence of that is about 10 times stronger because it speaks way louder. And so here, Paul encourages this wisely to Timothy to help him. Now, beyond the spiritual influence of godly living, he mentions another important area of great influence. And this, we'll see, pertains, notice, to the word of God. Look what he says, verse 13. Till I come, I also want you to give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So Timothy was to put, notice, focused attention on utilizing powerful influence, not just in godly living, but here he's referencing specifically through using the influence of good stewardship with the word of God. He says to Timothy there in verse 13, look at it, till I come, give attention. In other words, Timothy, give your thoughts, your time, your energy, your effort to a foremost purpose, and that is to attend to focusing on what's described here, and clearly what's described all pertains to the word of God. Give your focused, foremost attention, be attentive to, he says, first of all, to reading. That is, to reading God's word. To reading God's word. Not to reading this magazine, not to reading these fictional books, but to reading God's word. Timothy, give your attention foremost to that to reading God's word personally as a man and a minister. And I believe also, give your primary attention to reading God's word publicly as well. That's your responsibility as a pastor, as a leader among the church, keeping the pure word of God before the people as a standard of truth, as a light to guide their paths. People need to hear the word of God in its pure, simple reading alone. Look, I will tell you this morning, that is part of the reason why you notice on Sunday mornings, I read the entirety of the scripture text that we're going to look at together, 
and then I go back again and I read and exposit and read exposit the Word of God. Do you know one of the reasons I do that? One of the main reasons I do that is I figure if I fail in everything else I attempted in that moment, at least people heard the Word of God twice. Because you heard God's Word twice. So if all the other words I say in the midst of it become an utter shipwreck, you heard the pure, inspired, authoritative Word of God, which 2 Timothy 3 says is always profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that you're thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Isaiah says what? God says, my word will never return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it says. A lot of times people want to take that and encourage themselves when they speak for the Lord. Well, God said his word will never return void, so I hope I did a good job. God doesn't say my word. He says his word. <laughs> my words have probably returned void many, many times, and you're saying amen to that, brother. You know, but, but God says my word will never return void. So he says, Timothy, the reading of the word of God. Read the word of God. Let people hear God's word. We should have reverence for it. That's why I say, let's stand. This is the word of God. Just the simple hearing of the word of God can have a profound effect upon our souls. He says, also give yourself both to exhortation and to doctrine. And if I can Share those in the reverse order. Doctrine refers to teaching of the word of God. That is the exposition of scripture. Exegesis, as we refer to. That is unpacking what is there in the word of God and explaining it in a way where people understand the context and the meaning and then making personal application in a timely way so that the church family can hear and understand the truths of God's word through the teaching of God's word, the doctrinal explanation. And then exhortation speaks of response to God's word. So explain God's word, read it, explain it, and exhort people to respond to the word of God, not just to be what? Hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. That you would help people to act upon the word of God. That you would encourage them through what you say to be responsive to what the Spirit is saying to them through the Word of God as they hear it. Jeremiah chapter 3, God says there, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. And here's how God described that. I'll give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed and guide you with knowledge and understanding. And see, to the degree that Timothy as their pastor gave attention to God's Word foremost, there was great spiritual influence through his life. And I would say as well, Church gatherings, what we do here, should be heavily focused upon giving attention to the Word of God because that influence has profound effect upon all of our lives to grow spiritually. It helps us hear what God's trying to say to us, and it's what equips us as the saints for works of ministry to go influence our families, our jobs, our world around us when we heavily give attention to the reading of God's word, to the doctrinal explanation of God's word and exhorting people to follow the word of God. A pastor, in light of many demands, must keep proper attention on the word of God as well. And a church, family, and Christians, the more they are influenced by the word of God, are going to be way more influential when they depart going back out of the church and into the world. He says, verse 14 to Timothy as well, and do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you with the prophecy of the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So he's commanding Timothy to be a good steward here of the spiritual gifting he received from the Lord. Timothy, I want you to be influential. This matters as well. Timothy, there was once imparted to you, given to you an impartation of spiritual grace from the Holy Spirit to gift you in a certain way. Why? Not so we could show off, but so that he could strengthen people and serve people and bless people. And Paul refers to here how at some point, apparently he mentions when the elders, that is the spiritual leaders, the eldership, were laying hands on Timothy, praying over him, asking for God's hand to be upon his life. Apparently a prophetic word, an utterance came forth where a prophetic word was spoken forth regarding how God wanted to use Timothy's life maybe the gift or giftings that were being imparted to him by the Spirit. And he says, Timothy, you remember this experience. A gifting was entrusted to you for a purpose. So, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. 
Don't become neglectful. The idea is it's a sacred responsibility. You receive that as an impartation during that prayer meeting. Don't fail to utilize it. To neglect means to fail to attend to something in a way whereby it becomes wasted. And he's saying, don't do that. Look, and there are many reasons sometimes we can neglect to use our gifting that we've received from the Holy Spirit as Christians. Perhaps for Timothy, again, maybe it was fear and intimidation of his youthfulness. And maybe in his intimidation, he shrunk back and he didn't exercise his gifting. Maybe it was doubt or discouragement. Sometimes when we become discouraged or we become doubtful, we begin to neglect exercising the gift or giftings that God has given to us because we're struggling with just being discouraged, and so we give up. Sometimes it's worldly distraction. Demas had that problem. Demas, Paul said, he, having loved this present world, he forsook me. In other words, Paul says, at one time, this guy was serving with me, but he fell in love with the world. Richer materially, but now he doesn't even serve anymore spiritually. And Paul says he loved the world, and he got distracted, and he started neglecting the, the serving and the ministry. It could be laziness, or again, maybe being hurt or unappreciated, right? You serve the Lord, I'll tell you one thing, you're going to get hurt. You step out and serve Jesus, whether you want to minister to people in an unsaved world that can be mean and harsh and nasty, or whether you want to serve the Lord's people, sheep bite too, they do, and they butt heads, and they make things get messy, you know, they'll poop all over, leave you to clean it up, happens. And all these different things that they can cause us to start neglecting serving the Lord and doing the very thing we as a Christian are called to do. Well, the Bible teaches we've all been given spiritual giftings in different ways. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible tells us as well, Ephesians 4, we've all been given gifts, giftings. Are you using that? Are you neglecting to exercise the gifting the Lord's given to you? First Peter 4 says it this way. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should speak as if he's speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised. We've all received some gifting from the Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility to be careful we don't neglect to serve in the way that God is calling us to serve. So my encouragement to you in light of what Paul says to Timothy here would simply be, keep at it. Or if you need to hear instead, get back at it. Get back at it. Colossians chapter 4 says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. All of us have received different ministries. It's our job not to be neglectful and to fulfill whatever that ministry may be God wants to use us in. And the best way to avoid neglect is to stay occupied, right? How do you want to avoid neglect? Well, stay occupied. If you're going forward, you can't go backward. Look what Paul says, verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them so that your progress, that speaks of forward motion, may become evident to all. So Timothy, meditate on these things. Think this over. Think it through, Timothy. Why would God's spirit in a prayer meeting give you gifting and tell you you've been called to this if he didn't want you to, to, to use it for an important purpose? Timothy, ponder, think through. This is important. Get your mind zeroed in here. Meditate. Think this through, he's saying. This Christian life, this Christian ministry, it's important. Contemplate it. And then he says, and give yourself entirely to such things. Give yourself entirely. He's prompting Timothy, you might say, to full devotion, complete dedication. Give yourself, not partially to it. Well, kind of partially, Timothy. Give some of your time to it. He says, give yourself entirely over to it. He's saying, throw yourself completely into it. Stop half-hearted. Stop a little bit here and there. Throw yourself entirely into it. Give yourself fully over. Make your focus and what absorbs you doing your absolute best in this thing that God wants to do through your life. And look, folks, whatever we do to serve the Lord, that should be what we do, that we give ourselves entirely to it, that we fully give ourselves over to it, rather than just convenience and when it's easier, when we feel like it, that we would go all in. All in, man. If you're going to serve the Lord, let me say this morning, no more partial endeavors. 
You want to serve the Lord, go all in, not with your words. Don't say I'm all in. Show you're all in. Make a determination. Get before the Lord. You know what? I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go all in now. I'm ready to go entirely in, in faith, do whatever you want to do through my life. And that's a wonderful thing. And boy, influence becomes much more powerful when we're all in. And he says, Timothy, if you do this, he says, look what he says, verse 15, your progress that it may become evident to all. So all looking on at Timothy should see, Paul saying, progression happening in his life. Timothy, if you give yourself entirely to these things that God's asking you to do, people will be able to observe, they should be anyway, your progress, your progression forward. And guess what that would do? Inspire others. That would bring greater influence because they would want to go forward too. And as they saw him progressing, it would stir them up in enthusiasm to want to progress as well. And again, I think this is really important. That word progress that Paul uses there literally speaks of making an advancement into new things or pioneering forward. And so the idea here is God is saying to Timothy, the goal in progress is twofold. The goal in progress is certainly that you would become better at whatever you do. That's the goal. Do you lead music? Do you teach children? Are you a Bible teacher? Whatever, that there would always be progress. In other words, I'm, I'm, I've progressed from where I used to be. I'm always making progress. Some form, I'm getting better at whatever I do. That should be the goal, progression. As well as progress, the term also here, pioneering new things, speaks of at times progressing into new things, which means that going beyond where you are and stepping forward into the next thing or the new thing. Progress should be a way of life for not only the believer, but especially the servant of the Lord. It should be a way of life. In Exodus chapter 14, God told Moses, tell the children of Israel, go backward. Go forward. Go forward, he told them. Philippians 3, Paul says, here's the mark of maturity. Philippians 3. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead pressing toward the high calling of God. Paul concludes, Timothy as well, take heed to yourself, that is, pay attention, be careful with your own life and your doctrine, what you believe and what you teach. Continue on in them, for in doing this, you will save, preserve, protect both yourself and those who hear you. So he charges Timothy to pay attention to both notice his personal life, that he doesn't get off track, Morally, spiritually, when a person serves the Lord, sometimes when a person's serving the Lord in any capacity, you can be so focused on serving others that you stop taking care of yourself in your own condition. Be careful. You're a parent of little ones, you're exhausted, be careful. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your little one, but I don't believe just because you have a little one, you shouldn't read your Bible, you shouldn't pray anymore. You, you got to take care of yourself spiritually because if you don't, you're just going to strangle your kids at some point. I mean, I would have anyway you got to take care of yourself. Take heed to yourself. Keep your own life healthy. And he says in your doctrine, that is, don't begin to err in what you believe, Timothy. Be careful. Don't get caught up in these crazy ideas. And he says, and if you do this, keep your own life. Watch what you believe. You will save or preserve yourself, that is, from spiritual shipwreck. And you will also, notice he says, save and preserve others. In other words, Timothy, don't ever buy into this idea, it's my life and I can do what I want. He's saying, Timothy, you influence people way more than you believe. And let me say this morning to every one of you in the room, you have no idea your degree of influence. So what you do with your life will have influence, influence well. Be intentional to have good and godly influence. Here are some great principles for such. Let's stand together. Father, thank you.